Mindfulness Mode 371. Maybe you need to slay a new monster. And on the other side will be an even deeper, realer, more powerful relationship with your quote-unquote money, honey. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Welcome home, Mindful Tribe. Great to have you here. I have a free meditation I've created just for you, Mindful Tribe. It'll help you stay more focused. And as you know, with more focus, you can get more of the things done in life that truly matter. On the meditation, you'll hear waves and you'll hear me talking about allowing the waves to bring you a sense of calm. This will help you become more relaxed more peaceful and more content you can download this free guided meditation just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content i hope you enjoy it mindful tribe now sit back relax and enjoy listening to my fantastic interview with the wonderful morgana ray Hey, Mindful Tribe, you can probably tell by my voice, I am super excited today. (laughs) This is going to be a fun interview. I have the wonderful Morgana Ray with me today. And of course, you'll know her as the money goddess. Hey, Morgana, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I am. Ah. I can just tell. I can tell by your voice. I can see you here on this Zoom link and I can tell you're in mindfulness mode for sure. Let me share a little bit about you, Morgana, with our audience. Morgana Ray is widely known, as I said, as the money goddess because of her profound ability to virtually rewire the minds of clients so that they can generate financial abundance. She's widely regarded as the world's leading relationship with money coach. Morgana writes, she speaks, she coaches from a deep desire to empower idealistic entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, and artists to have a huge impact on the world and to heal the rift. I love this. To heal the rift between heart, spirit, and money. And oh, that can be a painful rift, can't it, Morgana? What does mindfulness mean to you anyway? Let's start there. Well, for me, it means awareness. My deepest desire as a human being, and by extension, a coach, talking about healing that rift, it's really, it's about so much more than money. It's really about our relationship with ourselves and loving not just the pretty parts of ourselves, but bringing even more love to the parts that feel ugly, that we have shame around, that we have wound around. And I was was actually coaching a client earlier today who does really powerful work in the world uh, for victims recovering from cult abuse. So some very deep, dark stuff. And she's brought so much goodness, but she still is aware of what she considers her ugly bits. And her, like her next level 
of healing and power is bringing more love to those parts. So you ask, what does mindfulness mean? It's not just tuning things out and emptying the brain, although if you can do that, great. Uh, for me, it's actually not backing away from anything, but being aware of the areas that we have pain around, the judgments we have around the world and about ourselves and not making those judgments wrong, but bringing more awareness and more love and more usefulness to everything, fully engaging in life with hearts and eyes wide open. So if someone has stumbled on this this show and this is kind of new for them, tell us what the first step is to becoming aware. There's a lot of very well-intentioned talk in our culture, especially in healing communities about positive thinking. And by the way, that can be very useful, mm -hmm. but it can also be an obstacle. When somebody is sleeping in their car, just thinking, I'm a millionaire is not enough. In fact, a, a study in Wales years ago actually said that these kind of affirmations create more anguish because you're aware of the disconnect from reality. So the first place to go is to get really honest and dig into what is in the way. So for example, people know me for work with money, but it's really, honestly, all work around money is really at a deeper level, work around love and around worthiness and around feeling safe in this world. So digging into what has ever made you feel unloved or unlovable unworthy, ashamed, or unsafe is the place to start, is to really take sort of the, I'm thinking car metaphors, which is ridiculous because I'm so not mechanical, but, you know, lifting, lifting the hood and really engaging like a courageous explorer to what have been your biggest pains. Because what happens if you're stuck with money or with love or with health, but you've got this pattern where you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing consciously and you aren't getting results. Unconsciously, what I have found coaching over 20 years and so many thousands of people is usually, because I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to ever say always for anything, but almost all the time, you are protecting yourself and you have very, very good reasons to protect yourself. So you wanna create a safe opportunity to go deep. If you can have a non-judgmental witness to be there as sort of your lifeline out of it, go as deep as you need to, to anything that made you feel unloved, unsafe or unworthy. And that's the first step is, is just, it doesn't even matter if the events you're thinking of are true or not. You want to feel them. It want, you want to have a full body, full spirit, full emotional experience of whatever that was that you are protecting yourself from now. And even though I pretend to be working with money, I, f I have always found that the root cause of the money problems is not about money. It's the stuff behind love, worth, and safety. That's step number one. Then through a leap of creative imagination, imagine the root cause of all the pain in your life was a person. What if there was this imaginary person who caused it? We don't want it to be your mom or dad. 
even though some moms and dads have done horrible things. But um, when we get to step three and we get rid of the monster, I don't think it's realistic or healthy to pretend to kill our parents. And I know there, that there is an institute that does that. And I think that, that there's just a believability block for me. So let's not even go there. But what worked for me and became the foundation of my work since uh, the very beginning of 2003 is this idea of the money monster. When we make the problem a person, it feels so real. And we have this frame of reference. So it's this fully engaged visualization of who would this person be? Is he, is it big? How big is it? Is it hot? Is it cold? What does it smell like? Maybe it's male, maybe it's female, maybe it's neither. Then as we go through these senses, then, then allow the visual to emerge. Sometimes just going for the visual immediately shuts down our intuition. So I like to start with the physicality, the size, mm -hmm. the temperature, the smell, the sound, the thoughts, and then maybe we just see the eyes. Maybe we just see the teeth. Maybe we just see the hands until it becomes a real person who is outside of yourself because then step number three is you destroy it by any means necessary. And we do not destroy you. And we don't destroy your parents, but maybe we destroy harmful things they did or things that were done to them. You get, we get to destroy the harm and leave the good. And that's step, I have six steps. Those are the first three. This is, I would say, put the most energy into the first three because they're the foundation. Most people like to leap to the feel good stuff but what I find is going into the challenge and full disclosure, I got my degree in Eastern Asian religion back in 1989. So this whole like Tibetan book of the dead and the whole like tantric perspective, Buddhist, Hindu, Kali, Shiva stuff heavily influences my approach to life and coaching and mindfulness. So we go into the darkness because it creates the contrast and the leverage for where we want to be. So we get to make a decision in step number three that no, cruelty does not have a place in my life. I reject it. It's out. And I destroy that monster by any means necessary until there is no energetic trace of it. And then there's an empty vacuum. And that's when you invite all that's left is love. And I called that new person, the old one we called the money monster. You can call it a love monster, success monster, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. And then the new one I called the money honey because it rhymes, right? <laughs> I love it's that, Morgan. I love that. Now, I have this question. Yeah. And I want to ask if you're a gentle soul and you believe in love and this is just how you operate, what is the best way to destroy your money monster? This is going to be different for everybody. And my tribe, my tribe is the light worker do-gooders of the world. I attract so many vegans. And I actually, I had a client years ago from Spain who was afraid of killing her money monster because she's a vegan. Right. It's an imaginary being. It depends because I've had very, very kind, soft, spiritual clients 
annihilate their monsters in the bloodiest imaginable ways. And there's a sacred energy like, like the warrior goddess Durga or all those pictures of Kali with the severed heads of just destroying ignorance. And that's what this is. So I would say do whatever works for you. But if something is coming after you and those you love, how do you respond? You better jump in and be confident and do something, right, Morgana? Don't just stand around. If only one of you is going to survive, who is that going to be? And you decide. So maybe a blast of love will do the job. And maybe a volcano is what you need. But I just want you to have everything available to you. There is a power of this warrior energy where victimhood can be very damp and heavy and kind of, you know, wet and dark. And, and this righteous anger is kind of like the fire that brings us up. And then when the monster is gone, when we have it just eradicated everything that doesn't belong from our lives. And that's, it's, it's, you know, a very energetic meditation and you can get up and you can start slashing things with your body or just do it in your mind. You can scream, whatever works for you. When it's gone, then you're in a different state. And then on the other side, then we have this opening, this vacuum to bring in the lover. Right. Now this, I want to know more about my money, honey. Tell me. Well, it's funny because when I went through this process accidentally back in 2003, and then I suddenly was attracting all these clients, not marketing this at all, but I had all these clients. So I had people to try it out on. And I really sucked at doing it for other people in the beginning because it was so easy for me. Why isn't it working for them? Okay. And in the beginning, I was letting clients have money honeys that were dogs and cats and horses and boats and all sorts of crazy stuff. And really, honestly, cats don't know anything about money. True. Terrible, terrible with money. And you don't want to get that intimate with them, please. No. So what I found is that this lover archetype works on many levels, including financially. And we're talking millions of dollars. My client Leslie made over a million dollars within three weeks. That's, three weeks. The biggest amount in the shortest amount of time to date, I think. Um, but I, yeah, it's the longer I do it, the bigger the dollar amounts of clients. Um, what I've, the reason lover works is lovers are equal. You can break your money honey's heart. We don't want to be like having money honey be a Santa with all the power because that's, that infantilizes you and it's back into a, a money monster. Right. So there's an intimacy and there's a healing with lovers that kind of heals all those little broken parts in us. And it changes all of our relationships, but mostly it's that vulnerability and that equality that makes the lover archetype work. And that's, that's the archetype where clients make a lot of money. Something that comes up a lot for clients who are already in relationships, especially happy relationships, is, oh, my God, I feel like I'm cheating on my human. Right. And I love I can, that. I, I can understand that. that being an issue. I love that. That means it's 
feels so real. You know, the, the, that experience has become so real. That's a good sign. And to date, and I've coached many, tens of thousands of people now, nobody has successfully had physical sex with their imaginary person. <laughs> Darn. Mean, it's not right it's just <laughs> here's what you do you bring that amorous love energy to the partner you have and i promise you mm. she or he will appreciate it and it's can it's really saved a lot of marriages that were on the rocks because of financial anxiety and now this client feels whole and loved and wonderful and juicy and that starts to flip the partner's relationship with money too so step number four is you meet your money, honey. This can be really challenging for some people who have never had a good human relationship before. What has been one of my favorite things to observe is people who never had good relationships before start to have good relationships because now they have they're, they're like changing their blueprint and and only taking in people who their money honey likes too, who this is how you make your money honey happy is self-love, self-care, anything that exalts you and, and your mission and love in the world is going to light this imaginary person up. And then the money is the cash <laughs> becomes a really fun, surprising, magical side effect. And as I said, I see really, I, I see things that I can't, logically explain Carolyn Kahn has made $86,000 in 12 hours. I have to like look up and remember because Elliot Malik made $87,000 in six hours and I have to keep the numbers straight because when our insides change, our outsides change. So step number four is you meet your money, honey. Step number five is the great thing about having this money be a person is now you have a partner that you can speak to. So going back to mindfulness, one of my favorite tricks for tapping into intuition is to like conjure my imaginary money, honey. I imagine him holding me in his arms wrapped around me. I can smell him. I can hear his voice. I can feel him and I can have a frank conversation. And his voice doesn't carry my neuroses. And he sees me through the eyes of love. And sometimes that's like, do that thing you're scared of that you don't want to do because you're so much more powerful and creative than you think you are. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna settle for your nonsense. But the way you tell the difference between the money honey and the money monster, because this comes up a lot, is anything your money honey tells you is grounded in love and expansion. It's generous. And it calls you forth to be your biggest, best self. It's not like, oh, you creep or you always, why can't you do that? You know, that kind of diminishing voice is a monster. And sometimes after you've been coasting for a while with the money, honey, it may change because you kind of got unconscious or complacent or it's time to grow again. And maybe you need to slay a new monster and on the other side will be an even deeper, realer, more powerful relationship with your quote-unquote money, honey. Right. Morgana, I want to ask you how long you need to hang out with your money monster 
before you get rid of that monster and move on to your money, honey? That depends on the individual. Like when I work with a client, it has to be done in the first session. You know, I'm not going to like dig up all your wounds and then go, oh, look at the time. I think that's unethical. Just sure. I can't imagine. So the person who is in the most pain, fear, and anxiety in this moment wins because you have the advantage. You're already in the state. So it can flip like that. You just want to be in a state where it's intolerable and you are willing to do whatever it takes to destroy that beast. It's easier to have it feel real when you're already in it. And then we don't have to dig for hours to get there. For me personally, I was in a state where I had all these certifications. I'd had all these clients and testimonials, especially movie star clients. That's where I started out was coaching entertainment industry. And suddenly I find myself like struggling to make $100 a month living in Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities in the world. I've taken all the classes on marketing. I have my tagline, my logo. I'm such a good student. And I had taken a class on overcoming sales objections. So I did that. And seven people in a row said they would hire me and zero showed up, zero paid. And that's when I went insane. I just lost hope. Oh, and wow. I remember dragging clothes, the, the drapes in my little tiny bedroom, blacking out the room like a crypt, getting on my bed and screaming, screaming in pain and grief and disappointment and rage, hopeless. And I felt hated by the universe and I hated the universe back. And it seemed like a cruel joke that I finally knew what I was here to do, which was to help people. And I couldn't make a living at it. And I didn't see the point of living. Wow. Wow. You came to that much pain, that much pain that you couldn't even see the point of living. I mean, that is terrible. But maybe it isn't because you had to come to that point, didn't you, Margana? That's what precipitated the change. It's really dangerous. That's why I, that's why I do this work. This is why I continually pretend to be coaching money because it's really so much deeper. It's, it's our deepest existential question of whether we belong in this life and it is that dramatic and because I was already in that state I had a call with my coach the next day get this I can't make money for rent but I've still had a coach thank God and he out of some inspired lark who knows where it came from he asked me two questions, which triggered the whole process for me. First, he said, what happened with money growing up? And here I was already in my early 30s. And I hadn't thought of really big things that had happened in my childhood, stolen inheritances, stolen but family members not talking to each other for decades. And wow. I never knew it affected me. Sure. But I did know that I made a decision when I was about 12 years old that if money got in the way of love, I chose love. So I just made a decision that this stuff was grown-up stuff and didn't have anything to do with me. And I didn't know how much I had internalized it until 20 years later. So when I remembered the stolen inheritance, the stolen college trust fund, close family members betraying me and not speaking to each other, I was like, oh, well... Maybe there's a reason I've got money issues. Hmm. But 
that kind of intellectual thing does not work for this process. It only worked for me because I was already one foot off the planet, already in so much pain that when this coach asked the next question, and this is the game changer, everything became visible to me. And he asked me if your money was a person, who would your money be? And in that moment, I instantly saw this big, scary, dirty, violent biker who terrified me and no aspersions to bikers. But this guy was a bad guy and really frightened me. And I imagined myself at this live event, this like cap campground with my eye on him the whole time to keep maximum distance between the two of us. And that was my light bulb moment where, oh my God, that's what I'm doing with money while I'm working all day, every day and weekends, trying to land clients and market and build this coaching business. At the same time, I'm creating maximum distance and there's, it doesn't matter what I do or how well I do it. If I have to protect myself from money, protection will always win. And I knew in that moment that there was no possibility of me having money in my life if he was that biker. Wow. Well, I want to cut you off here. Okay. I want to I want to ask you a question, Morgana, because this has come to my mind. You've told us that we can change almost instantly. We can pivot almost instantly once we envision this and then envision our money, honey, and so on. You also have a wonderful book called Financial Alchemy. And in that book, you lead the reader through a year, 365 days of work. And it is work. And there's lots of exercises and powerful work in there to do. So I want to know how this works together. Should you do this pivotal moment with your money monster and your money honey and then proceed to do the work that you've outlined in the book or should you get working on the book first and then later do the other how does this work together well they go together because this exercise is in the book with a lot of tips on how to maintain the relationship with your money honey after the initial falling in love moment And the entire book, it's actually not hard work because I'm a really big believer in the tiniest action getting the biggest impact because I I think that struggle is overrated. Mm. And I prefer ease, flow, and synchronicity. So I like the smallest actions that get the biggest results. So the first half of the book guides you through the process, the six steps. And then the rest of it is just putting it into action and staying on track over the year. Okay. So it's like follow-up. Yeah. It's the reason I got, first I created the, the system, the self-coaching system for myself, full disclosure, just to achieve my own goals and to stay connected myself. And then I got invited to speak at the Conscious Life Expo in LA in 2006. And my reaction was, yay, oh heck, <laughs> Yeah, I have nothing to offer. And I, and I put together the first iteration of the book, like in two weeks, Wow, 12 years ago, and just kept refining it and upgrading it for years and years and years and then launched it officially like a grown-up book instead of at Kinko's Amazon and and then it became this crazy bestseller all over the planet 
published only in English, but like number one in Germany, two, number two in France and Italy. And, and I get emails from people in South America. I was in Bali and a woman from Estonia said, oh my God, I bought your book and it changed my life. Crazy. I, that is one crazy. One of my favorite clients had her first quarter of a million dollar month in sales using the second year into using the book. So I, I it's, it's my way of, I, I, I want to help as many people as I possibly can. I cannot coach everybody on the planet. So I created this book honestly so that fewer people would need me. How crazy is that? <laughs> I think it's wonderful <laughs> that you created the book because, you know, a lot of us have work to do and we need to just sit down and dig in and do the work. But it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be a struggle. You just have to do it, Right. It can be easy. And you, Morgana, you have a story that I just love when I hear you tell this. And that's about the story of you and your wonderful husband and how you get married in many, many countries. And your goal is to get married a hundred times in a hundred countries. And Devin was on my show, of course, episode 325, where it was it was called Be a Little Crazy, says storyteller <laughs> Devin called. <laughs> It was so much fun having them on the show. But tell me your story about the weddings. Well, to back up before the weddings, because seriously, you know, I would have settled for so much less. I just thought it would be nice to get married once in my life. Um, in 2012, I had been looking for my soulmate for almost 45 years. Oh, to be fair, maybe 40 and a half I, since I chased Brian Patterson under the piano on his fifth birthday and I was four and a half. I'd been looking for my soulmate. And I was finding the way I was, I was finding my experience. It was so in my face. This is the horrible thing about being a teacher is when you're like telling, teaching your stuff and it applies to you and you can't escape it because you're hearing it come out of your own mouth. And I was doing everything I was supposed to do to find my life partner and nothing was working. And finally, I just broke down and I was like, oh, heck, I have to do this on love. So I created a love monster, which was bigger and scarier than even the money monster, much bigger and scarier. And I had to get rid of that. And then I met Devin two months later. Wow. So, yeah, I'm and I'm still in this what it's six years and I'm still in this crazy honeymoon phase. <laughs> but yeah, the, the hundred weddings, you know, I kept traveling the world, speaking and teaching in these romantic places by myself, feeling so sorry for myself because <laughs> I can feel grateful and sorry for myself simultaneously. And I kept saying, I want to travel the world with the love of my life. And so on OKCupid.com, the free dating site, this guy named Travel Guy wrote to me. But I didn't write back right away because I was dating Kevin, the Mormon puppeteer, who was inappropriately younger. It's no one will ever know why that didn't work out. And um, <laughs> and I waited until like he dumped me <laughs> very soon and then and then responded to Devin and we had a six hour first date and you know, we have not been apart since. Six hour first date, what was that like? Tell us about that date. Oh, the most important thing was that I felt relaxed and comfortable and uh. safe. 
uh, I had finally, I was very slow to figure out how to date like an intelligent person. It, and I finally, before I met Devin, I'd finally realized that when I'm this chatty, Kathy, nervous, giggly person, it's because the person I'm with is not safe mm. for me. When I can be myself, whether I like or I'm attracted to the person, but if I can be myself and have no impulse to impress, that's a good sign. And the whole time I was with Devin, I didn't feel like I had to put on any air or entertain or impress. I could just be with him. And he was interesting and a good listener. And we just sat in a bar, neither of us drink, eating a lot of like spicy pistachio nuts and iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't know that he would be the one, but he was cute enough to see again. And then on the second date, we went to the observatory up in the Hollywood Hills. Uh -huh. And I noticed for the first time in my life that some stars are yellow and some stars are like more white or green. And I pointed that out and he came up with the most ridiculously, obviously fake story about that. It was, you know, but he sold it so well. And that was the moment I fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> but the hundred weddings, uh, I was teaching my retreat in Bali. He was photographing animals in South Africa. We were Skyping every day. And for a week, every conversation began with Devin saying, I don't think you're the right woman for me because. Or I don't think I'm the right man for you because. And me freaking the heck out. And like, what? Because I knew he was the guy. I knew like a year earlier that we were going to get married. I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't in a rush. I just knew. And I knew when he asked, I'd say yes. I thought it would take him about four years. And at the end of this week, a year and a half into our relationship of him almost breaking up with me every day, he caps it with a marriage proposal. Talk about emotional whiplash. I believe and, it. Oh, uh, <laughs> So I hopped on a plane home, post haste, picked him up the next day, eloped before he could change his mind. And I thought, done deal, bucket list complete, married. And then the day after we went shopping for rings and started calling parents before we announced it on Facebook and making it official. <laughs> yeah. And a week later, we went to uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, because he's a travel writer and he had an assignment and we were walking by their iconic cathedral, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And on a lark, Devin said, hey, you want to get married again? And I said, absolutely. So we crashed the cathedral. We just walked to the front, no makeup, sweaty from our massages, took off our rings, exchanged new vows. And it was so much deeper the second time. And we had all these witnesses and we were in a church. And whatever he said, and you know, Devin, he's like magic with words. Whatever he, he said made me feel so loved and touched wow. me deeper. And I had been married 13 days now. So I knew so much more about what it is to be married than I did the first time. And I started crying. And that was, we, we came out of the cathedral and we were so excited. We were like, oh my God, we have to do this everywhere. We have to get married in stone circles and yurts and huts and mosques and temples and everything. And, and within a day, he proposed that we get married a hundred times in a hundred countries. 
And so far we've been married 20 times in 15 countries because we've had a bunch of weddings in the U.S. and Mexico. And and I think we're going to probably get married in every state in both. And then when we're done with countries, we may just start over because it's not about the number. It's about <clears throat> talking about mindfulness, cutting time out of your day-to-day existence. And it's inconvenient, especially if you're the girl and you have to look pretty and, and right. wear white in front of the camera. Oh, my God. Who came up with that horrible idea? Yeah. Uh, but it's just just like to stop the world and say, you are the most important person to me. And, and this is what I want for you. And this is what I want to do for you. And this is, this is why you matter to me. There's a beautiful video out there that I don't know if Devin had it created or you both did. It's just beautiful. It is incredible. Telling the story of your 100 marriages and how it looks. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Is that on YouTube? It is, isn't it? I'm sure it's on YouTube. And it's also at In the No Bride. In the No is spelled K-N-O-W. We also, I think, have the domain foreverbride.com, which will go to the same site. And Devin was an editor for Miramax back when that existed. Uh back in the day. So he knows how to edit films. So he edited our first weddings together in this great little three minute video. It is terrific. I I highly recommend it. Morgana, I want to know if you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference, whether it's doesn't have to involve you. Maybe it's childhood, maybe it's adulthood, maybe it's business, but a story where you know, it involves bullying, but looking back, you know, mindfulness would have made a big difference. I was the most hated girl in school in the third grade. I moved from the city in Los Angeles and Hollywood out to the suburbs. One was very diverse, a very, very different culture. We called grownups by their first name. It was just very different. And then suddenly I'm in this very white bread suburb with different social rules that I didn't understand. So I was the pop, I, w- I was the girl everybody hated. I had no friends in school. There was one girl I would play with after school, but she would be the meanest girl at school. Oh. And it was, oh, <laughs> life has only gotten better since then. So I have this um, like aspect of myself that I call my inner fat girl because mm. I was chubby at the time. So people called me fat stuff. Like I wasn't even a person. It was so dehumanizing. And I still have this aspect of my personality that comes out when I'm feeling in a social situation, not good enough, not pretty enough, not popular enough. Like there's something really wrong with me. And I have so much love for this part of me, fat girl, because A, she needs love more than maybe any other part of me. And I think she's also the most loving because that part of me that feels like the unacceptable, ugly outcast who doesn't deserve to exist, recognizes, understands, loves, and desires to provide safety for everybody else's inner fat girl that feels like the unsafe outcast who doesn't deserve to exist. 
So my mindfulness is to take that experience and kind of turn it into gold through service by bringing love first to that part of myself and, uh, and, and really truly loving her contribution. The, there's a temptation when we're being abused and feeling the abuse, especially if we're empathic and we're feeling the anger and the rage. It's very tempting either to lash out at the people who are attacking us or even more tempting to lash out at ourselves right? and hurt ourselves and join the abusers. Um, when we can pause and love the parts of us that we have the most trouble with, maybe you call it the saboteur or the bully. You know, I talked about my fat girl. Each of them is on our team. Each of them has wisdom. And when we can really embrace and love that part of us, it gives us a superpower. It gives us the superpower of empathy. When I love my inner fat girl, the, the part of me that feels hated and ugly and lonesome and doesn't deserve to exist and lonely, then I can see and understand and love everybody else's part that feels those ways. And then it gives me sort of a superpower to heal that pain. And that changes the dynamic. I, I think I, I don't know if I said this before, but I became a coach really truly. I quit acting and became a coach because I was doing it as a hobby and I liked myself better. I liked the relationships better. I was happier. So honestly, I became a coach totally for selfish reasons because mm. I found it easier to be happy helping other people. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that if you're feeling unhappy, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling overwhelmed, get out there and help someone. Make a difference in somebody's life. That's certainly been the case with me, and I know it's the case with a lot of the people that I interview. Morgana, as I move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. 30-second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a mindfulness influence in your life? Honestly, and this is going to sound so pretentious, but the Buddha, I think I mentioned I was a religion major in college and this, the, the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama and the, you know, the four noble truths that mm -hmm. the first one being life hurts and it's supposed to, and that leads us on a path of learning and evolution. So I would say, yeah, let's start, let's start with the big guy. All right. <laughs> and number two, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? I think mindfulness for me, it's, it's why I'm happy. We can't control what happens outside of us, but we can definitely change our experience and make things useful and bring more love and understanding and, uh, and, and use everything to make our lives in the world better. Morgana, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness. Mm. I try to get out to the beach. 
So this is a roundabout question, but just, I think nature, wherever you get it is really, really important. And I find when I'm in nature by the water or in the earth, my breathing slows and I start to breathe along with the waves and it just changes me. It does for me too, Morgana. I have a river that flows just behind my studio and a pathway along the river uh, lined with trees. And it's just a beautiful place to take a break and walk for half an hour or an hour. And I just feel that groundedness return. It's a wonderful feeling. Morgana, uh, if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what book would that be? One of my all-time favorite books is called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart, or maybe it's Falling Apart Without Going to Pieces. Um, it's a, by a Buddhist psychologist from Harvard, who it's really about how feelings of insecurity, we're supposed to have them. And instead of fighting them, really uh, going into them and allowing them because that's where new things are born. That, that is uh, that holistic, that is mindfulness. It's not pretending everything is okay. It's about really loving what is. I also, by the way, like Byron Katie. <laughs> oh, Byron Katie is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Is there an app which helps you or maybe your clients with mindfulness? Yeah, I've got one my little muse thing because, um, Choose Muse. Yeah, no, gamifying. <laughs> Isn't it great? I just interviewed the inventor two oh. days ago of the Muse headset. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, look at how many birds I got, which is... <laughs> yeah. And, and even if I didn't, so what? It's, it's, it's a fun gadget to make meditation feel less serious to me. Yeah, it really is fun. It gives you direct feedback, immediate feedback. The, the Muse headband, M-U-S-E. Yeah, I can put a link for that in the show notes as well. But all of these links will be in the show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Morgana, how can we learn more about you and what you do and what you offer to the universe? Oh, thanks for asking. I made it really simple. I created a website, MorganaRay.com, MorganaRae.com, with tons and tons of free stuff. You'll find my book, which is not free. It's on Amazon on the homepage. But above that, I have a four-part video series to ease you into the money monster in one video and the money honey in the next and hundreds and hundreds of articles and videos and 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 interviews uh, to get you started on your own. I want people to have success and then, you know, send me an email so I can put you in my wall of fame. And I know you want success for people. You, it just comes across so clearly. Mindful Tribe, MorganaRay.com. And Ray is R-A-E. Check out the website, M-O-R-G-A-N-A. -A. 
and then Ray, R-A-E dot com. And yeah, so many wonderful resources there that you've offered your visitors for free. I'll put that in our show notes as well. Morgana, it's been such a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for joining here today. Oh, it's my honor to be here. And you have just, because I've been listening to your podcast, you know, full disclosure before before you invited me. And you have just the sweetest, warmest, most inviting voice and way of being. Uh, no wonder, no wonder everybody wants to listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Morgana. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Waves of Content Meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. With more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.